and you're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. Well, in the Bible, I'm going to be taking you to this morning in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. We'll be talking about a blind man. Throughout, uh, when John writes for all the apostles, he writes, he said, there are so many things that Jesus did, the books could not contain everything that he ever said and he ever done. So when we look at the Gospels, what we have are selections. And if they're selected, they're very, very important to the men who put them in here because the Holy Spirit led them to put them in here. In Mark's Gospel, then, we have two stories of two blind men. One at the end when we talk about one who has a name. The one we have today, he's simply a blind man. He's picked in this story. So I want to read it to you today as we go to look at it and want to make sure that you understand when it's here, he's talking to us. I don't know about you, but there was a day when I was blind. I did not see God, did not understand God, did not know what was going on with God. And in the midst of this story, I I guess it had a big title if I gave it a title. And you think, boy, what kind of a weird title is that? But it'd be finding Jesus in a generation of people who love religion. We have religion all around us. The more we go immoral, the more we move away from God, the more religious people get. They call it spiritual. You know, I attended not too long ago, and now I guess it's a lot longer ago than I think because my daughter's getting older, but when she got her master's degree from Dexter University in pre-med before she went on to become a doctor, they had a Sunday meeting. You know what those used to do? Those were baccalaureates. You know what that meant. We came and a preacher spoke about the Word of God and talked about Jesus the Lord, and I thought, what are they going to do with this secular university that my daughter is going to? And so we came, and a lady came forward who was speaking on American tribal religions, and she said her thought for the day was, you know, a feather teaches us about spirituality. (laughs) I thought, you know, give me a chance, and I would just like to pull the whole platform down. Because we get more and more spiritual, we get more religious, but we get less godly. We don't understand God. We don't understand the Lord Jesus Christ. So my old lady was asking me this week, so what are you going to preach on? I said, I'm going to preach on Jesus. You know, (laughs) that's a big topic. But that's who I want you to see in the story because every time you open up the Bible, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So we're going to talk about a blind man, but we're going to be coming to Jesus. Let me read you the Word of God this morning. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man, and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village, and then he had spit on, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Lord, your word is your your word, and these are your people. 
May you speak to us today. Lord, almost speaking to the choir today about what we got to talk about, but yet at the same time, it's so important. It's so hard for us. 168 hours this week, we've been out there in the world, and now in this half hour, 45 minutes, we spend this moment with you. Holy Spirit, I know that you're real, and I know that you do what needs to happen because if you have such a small corridor and yet you change the world so drastically in 45 minutes each week, I know what you can do in this hour. So just touch your word. May it be so, Lord, as you speak to your people. May I, your servant, be anointed by you. We ask it in your name. Amen. They came to Bethsaida. Now that seems like Jesus was doing all of his work there. That's where he worked out of, Bethsaida. But if you go back to Matthew's Gospel, you find some terrible, awful words said by Jesus about Bethsaida. He says, Bethsaida, if one miracle that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in ashes and sackcloth. But you, you shall go down into hell. Because miracle after miracle after miracle was done among them, and they didn't understand that miracles carried the message. They never got past the miracle. They, they stopped with the religion. They stopped with the spiritual part. They stopped with the, the, the dressings. But they never caught the message behind every miracle. And here they are again. This day we find them. What are they doing here? You think it's because they have great faith that they have brought this? No, read your, even in the English you can understand it. And some people, some people, just some people, a town that's where Jesus is healing person after person, where they've seen people blind, be deceived, people who could not walk, walk, people who were practically being carried through their streets dead, Jesus was raising them. It was how it was. Jesus is a terrible guy to go to funerals because he always messed them up. But here he is. They're seeing this. And these people, though, what are they wanting to do? Hey, have you seen the late thing that Jesus does? He touches people and it changes them. Hey, let's get him to touch somebody. That's what it says when he's begging. They're pleading and begging with Jesus to touch him, not to heal him. I mean, that's going to happen. But what they want everybody to see is, see what this guy does when he touches somebody? Wow, I mean, this is going to wow you. <laughs> when he's finished touching them, I don't know what's going to He may get up and walk, but this guy, you know. So they grabbed a blind man. He didn't mean anything to them. He's a blind man. They just grabbed him up. Spiritual people do these things. They're not concerned about the outcome of the person. They're more concerned about their getting across their spirituality than they are about anything else. And so they're wanting Jesus to, to touch him. Just, hey, stand back and watch what's going to happen here. When Jesus does this, this is going to be pretty exciting. You're going to see what happens. This guy is going to see. They're not really interested. It's a miracle. What they don't understand is what Jesus is about is salvation. That blindness is just a representation of what's deep down wrong inside of all of us. And so Jesus, I love it because even though when you come to Mark's Gospel, what you're hearing are the story sermons of Apostle Peter. 
Mark is recorded, they say in the, in the tradition of the church, that all of Mark's gospel was because he followed Peter around and listened to his sermon story after sermon story after sermon story about Jesus as he led people into the kingdom. So in this story, though it's brief, there's these few passages. There's a lot being said in this passage. Here he's in a town where he's doing miracles, and there's nobody getting it. So Jesus, and I love it because what Peter says, what Mark is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is saying, Jesus grabs hold of this guy by the hand. He doesn't just touch him. He grabs hold of him, and the way that the language says from the original Greek, he took hold of him because he had ownership. He had a part of himself in this guy. He wasn't just a blind man. He wasn't just a miracle to be done for the day. He had something invested in this man that they could not understand. And so he took his possession from them and took him out of the village, got him away from those people, and he took him outside of the town. He said, you're mine. i got an investment in you. Do you understand that Jesus has an investment in your life? Whether you believe Him or not, whether you know He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, whether you know Him as Redeemer of your life, He has an investment in every life of every person that's alive on this planet today. And He's waiting for a response to it. So Jesus grabs Him and takes Him out of that environment, takes Him away from that. I wish I could say, you know, there's not a lot of people who are mixed up with religion, but they are. You know? I was singing for a quartet at Mount Vernon Nazarene University years ago in Kentucky. And uh, I was coming across the campus uh, to meet the guys and, uh, so we could get together before the service and get ready. And I ran into this fella, and he's carrying a, you know, a bottle of Jack Daniels, and he's stumbling all over the place. And, and so uh, he nearly fell into my arms. So I grabbed him and said, sir, can I help you? And he said, yeah. He said, Just get me to the tabernacle. He said, man, I love the sermons said, man, I never miss a revival around here. I love the sermons. They're great. Just touch him, Jesus. Just touch him. I like, the, I like, the, I like this stuff. Give it to me. Oh. I met a 17-year-old who played an organ for a church once. And uh, they needed an organist. You know, it's hard. We, we in the church, we want somebody to have music so we can sing, you know. Uh, now, I come from the mountain part of West Virginia where uh, they don't believe in musical instruments. Some of my, those churches there, they will not have a musical instrument. I asked my grandfather about that one day. So why not a musical instrument? And, of course, I, by then it, I'd found the Lord, and I was in the church of the Nazarene, and they had one of these. And he said, because an instrument is shaped like a woman. I kind of looked at that piano and kept trying to figure that one out. And I thought, no, I don't think that's the personal reason. I haven't seen too many women that look like that. No, I, what it was is just, we can sing without the instruments. It's our, it's our voices. And I do love to hear the harmonies. I, I mean, when I'm back in the mountains, I, I go down to my brother's church, and they don't have any musical instruments there. And, you know, it's great because some of you guys and gals who are stuck, you know, where you sing those notes that they don't hit in the piano, they're somewhere in the cracks, you blend right in in a congregation like that. You see, 
Jesus is getting hold of this man. He's saying, look, don't. So this 17-year-old boy, I was listening to him and played the organ. It was great. And uh, the next service he was playing, and I was not the preacher. I was there as the song evangelist uh, for that. And uh, so anyways, he told me, he said, hey, he said, you want to see? Just touch him. Religious. Christianly religious. He said, tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to play this first song, and it's going to be kind of slow. And he said, and the people will like it. And he said, and then he said, then I'm going to work my way over from victory in Jesus to amazing grace. And when I get to amazing grace, they're going to start jumping up and shouting, running all over the place. And he says, and they're going to think it's because God is in the place. He had no clue it was because God was in the place. It was not because he was playing his dumb organ. It's because there was a bunch of people out there that had been saved by amazing grace and they understood it. But he was too busy looking for a touch instead of understanding the message. And the message is the man, Jesus. He's the message. So Jesus takes him outside and he says that he took and he put spit upon his eyes. I love what Terry said this morning because it takes us back. Do you, you understand what's happening in this passage? Jesus is taking this man. I have a possession in you. I have a part in you, but I want you to understand something very important. And when we talk about grace, it's all grace. Jesus is putting provenient grace into the place where this man is the most, his eyes, he's putting it there. But what he's saying to him at the same time is, do you understand, just like I did in the beginning, you are dirt. That's all we are. Until Jesus picks us up and touches us. So he's bringing him back. He's not, he's not saying, oh, I'm trying to give you a self-importance. I'm trying to do... He's bringing him back down to the place saying, look, I've got all this investment in you, but I want to remember, remind you, it, it's 100% me, and there's no percentage of you. I want to touch you. I was, we, we tried to watch Perry this morning as he was teaching Sunday school, but we couldn't hear it <laughs> over the stream. But, uh, you know, uh, but I tell you, I love Sunday school. Uh, I'm just too lazy to get out of bed this morning because I did something else yesterday. But, uh, you know, but, and I'll get to that in a little while. <laughs> but I remember one Sunday school teacher that I just loved. He, he, he came in. His wife was famous in our church because she made pies. I mean, she made those good, thick pies, Wonderful pies. I mean, they were, were great. It was one of those things that when you had the church dinner, you know, you knew that you weren't going to live long enough to get to dessert, so you started with her pie, and then you'd work your way back to food if, if Jesus should tarry that long. And, uh, but one day in Sunday school, he brought one of her pies to Sunday school, and he was sitting up there with the pie, and he said, let me show you this pie. He said, now, I did, my wife didn't make this pie. He said, I made it. And he said, after I made it this morning, I was going to give some of it to you. But he said, I took a taste of it. And he said, it's really pretty, pretty crummy. <laughs> he said, it's awful. He said, you guys, he said, I don't want my wife to get a bad reputation. So he said, but, he said, but it's okay. He said, because I brought the pie and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rescue it. And he said, so I've got all this stuff here to put in the pie. 
So he brought over some mustard and he poured it in the pie. Then he went and got some ketchup and poured it in the pie. Then he put some honey in the pie. Then he put all this in the pie. He says, now, he says, and he stirred it up real good. He said, now, who's ready to eat the pie? Well, there were no volunteers. Of course not. But did you get his point? Oh, and if that person would just find Jesus, I could just tell you their intellect would really help the kingdom. We'll just add to the pie. His point was pretty good, wasn't it? He said, what are you going to do with this pie? He said, we're going to throw this pie out because Jesus doesn't add things to damaged pies. He throws them away and creates new creatures. You are a new creature in Christ. You're not what you were. Thank God I'm not. You know, and once in a while somebody will tell me, hey, you're a pretty sweet guy. Say, oh, no, I'm not. But Jesus is in me. Really is. Because he's created something new. He said, this is the, so Jesus has got him there. He's bringing him down to that point. And now maybe you don't quite get it, but what Jesus actually says is, is there any possible way now that you can see anything that I have started to pour my grace out upon you? Do, do you see anything? And the word that it says that he looks up, he has the look of a blind man. He just looks up with no expectancy. He's a blind man. I'm still a blind man. I'm just going to look up. But then as he looks up in this grace that God starts to move on me, we call it pervenient grace. You heard Terry mention it. It's that grace that God starts working on us and starts waking us up out of the dead and out of the sleep and out of everything else that we're in. He starts to work on us. We can't get there unless he comes to us. And what does he say? He says, I see men walking around like trees. Do you get that? Do you understand what he's telling you? My eyes have seen religions of the world. There is no root. These men are not rooted down. They're not established by anything. They're just unrooted trees with no foundation walking around, and I've been watching them. I've been making my decisions for God by what I see other people doing. I've been making my decisions for God by what people tell me is the thing to be doing. And I'm watching these unfoundational trees wobbling around with no roots, and that's all I see, Jesus. Well, the prevenient grace is waking him up. It's there. It's working on him. You see, it's so important because we, we've, got to, we've got to come to the place where we understand we are lost and man cannot help us. It can't. It's ridiculous. Oh, I was watching a video the other day because I wanted to go see one of our state parks and it was sponsored by uh, one of these uh, people. I'll call it, I don't know what you call them. But anyway, she was starting to say, well, now, doesn't it give you a deep peace within? Doesn't it, doesn't, the, the ocean, like, just kind of gives me this, you know, and I'm going, mm, you know what, besides wanting to throw up, I turned off the video. I'm thinking, oh, why is it? What is wrong with people? You see, she didn't know Jesus. I had, she has nothing to say to me. 
because you and I have met the Prince of Peace. We've met the King of Kings. All of that state park stuff that I went to see, he, he, he snapped that stuff in by just saying, do it. But he speaks. So here's this man. He's floundering with this. When we have religious people around us, did you, do you know that just because you say, I have sinned, will not get you saved? I'll tell you, there are three times in the Bible that three men specifically said that. One was a guy called Pharaoh. He said it more than once. He's in hell today. A second one was a guy called King Saul. He's in hell today. A third one was a guy with a very sad story. His name was Balaam. Do you know him? Balaam was so spiritual that he, he knew God, but he didn't know God. The pagan people around him knew that he knows the high God, as they called it, the higher power, whatever people want to say, the high God. And so then he speaks to him, and it says, they called him and said, we want you to curse these people who are coming through our valleys. They are too outnumbered. If you can curse them and cause them to die and be sick, and he looks down, and he's looking down upon the church of God. He's looking upon the church of Jesus Christ. He's looking upon the Israelites. And God says, oh, no, you can't do this. Isn't it sad that he was so close to God that his donkey was smarter in religion than he was? Religiously. But his donkey was smarter. His donkey knew when God was trying to stop him, when God was going to kill him. And even in the end of it, the last thing we hear about Balaam of Peor is that whenever they overtook the pagans and killed them all, he was in the number. You see, shame is not what God is after. Guilt is what God is after. That's why He sends the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will accuse the world of guilt. That's when we take responsibility for, yes, I'm lost. Shame won't buy it. Guilt will. Who is it? Because guilt is against God. I heard a pastor talking about a young man he had in his congregation once. He was working for a great federal bank, but then he got in with the wrong group of people, and uh, all these young people thought, well, we're taking care of all these credit cards. There's no way that with thousands upon thousands of people spending their, their money through that they'll ever catch us taking some of that. Well, they did. And a federal bank isn't like catching being caught by a state bank or a local bank. Federal bank is, they want the ever extreme piece of the law. And so he said, I said, well, what happened? He said, well, the young man called me up. He was totally ashamed of himself. He said he's ashamed. He, 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 had, he said, please, I'm going to have all my friends. I'm going to have my girlfriend who became his ex-girlfriend. I'm going to have all these people because I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so ashamed. 
And I said, well, what, what do you think of it? What do you think of all this that you dealt with? He said, well, he said, I had one problem with it. And I said, why is that? Because he never, ever asked the question of, how's God feel about it? He was shamed, but he wasn't guilty because he didn't ask, how's God feel? You want to understand where that comes from? Psalm 51. David, after what he does with Bathsheba and her husband, he says, God against you, and you only have I sinned. You say, well, wait a minute. He said, but debate? No, against God only. God against you, and you only have I sinned. So the first look that he looks up, he sees trees. The second look is different. Jesus now puts his hands beyond just his eyes onto his whole body and starts the movement of salvation in his heart and life. And it says he starts to concentrate. You see, how I know the first one wasn't very good is because if you and I were getting our eyes opened and Jesus is standing right in front of us and saying, what do you see? What would have been your response? Do you see trees? But as his second time, his concentration now left behind everybody else except himself and God. Because that's what it boils down to. You and God. It doesn't boil down to what anybody else thinks or whatever they think. It boils down to you and God. I know I was knocking on the door some years ago and a lady at the door, I was trying to share the gospel with her. And uh, she said, you're one of those preachers that believes that people go to hell if they don't, don't come to God. I said, no, I'm just one of those who tells you what the Bible tells you, which is God's word, and that's the truth. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, well, my child, my boy went to hell because he was just a terrible boy, and there's no way I'm going to go to heaven. I want to go to hell and be with my boy. And I looked at her, and I said, so, and you heard the pastor preach on hell, didn't you, last week? Let me bring it back a second. I said, so you're telling me you want to go to hell and listen forever and ever and ever to your boy saying, Mom, why didn't you tell me? 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 And I said, you want to listen to that forever and ever? Endeavor? Because he won't be in hell on his own. He'll be there because everybody else sent him. Nobody's guilty in hell. They're shame, but they don't feel guilty. It's you, Mom. You see, here is Jesus, and suddenly the second look that Peter tells us he has, or Mark tells us, is that he looks and all of a sudden he starts to concentrate and everything else falls off and he's seeing Jesus. And all of a sudden as he sees Jesus, he understands where he's at. And as he continues to consecrate, it says that there's a third step that happens and that is, then he saw everything clearly. Until we come to really understand and meet God, we cannot understand things clearly. 
You know, I, I feel in this world, we're, we Christians are the only ones that really get to live while we're here. Do you know that? I feel that way. We, we really understand what this world's about. I mean, it's corrupted, there's problems with it, but still, God is in charge and He's still working good and until the day He pulls it out of here, we got a lot of good going on. Now, the world plays with it, they mess with it, they get the benefits of it, but they really don't understand it. But you and I do understand it. We really do. I was, uh, you know, yesterday, like I said, I, I decided, well, my daughter, you know, my grandson's, we moved down here because my daughter brought all my grandsons here. And now we've got a little granddaughter. We're hoping to keep her. And uh, she's in the uh, area of adoption. Well, yesterday we were out there at the beach, and my grandsons were fascinated at uh, Hunting Island. If you've ever been there, there's all these little pools around these dead trees that are full of hermit crabs. And uh, they just were fascinated by these things. But what was amazing is I stood there and was thinking about the sermon this morning. I thought, you know, isn't that a shame that they have to live in borrowed, borrowed shells? And that's pretty much what people live without Christ in this life. Borrowed shells. We just put on stuff. You know, a Christian lawyer is a true, true Christian lawyer is a lawyer. Let me tell you, a true Christian construction man's, uh, you want a true Christian construction man who's a Christian construction man. And I definitely want a Christian mechanic to work on my car. I've had enough of the other kind, okay? I truly want that. But others put on. You see, you, want, you don't want it that way. You see, I want to live in this world every way that Jesus means for me to live, and then enjoy the one to come. I really am. I mean, I've got more and more friends over there all the time as I'm getting up there, and it's getting to be even a more pleasant place, but the biggest part of it is I, I'm, I'm anxious to do like that blind man. I, I want to see Jesus. I want to see him. I mean, I know him. I mean, he permeates my life. He, he drives everything that I do. It's the way we think. It's a, you know what I'm saying, don't you, Christian? We, don't, we can't think without Him. We, we don't do anything without Him. You know? I don't cut up onions without Him. And so that way, whenever I'm crying, it feels like worship. You know? It, it, it's that way. Jesus is just so strong in our lives. He's powerful to save. But you have to cry out to Him. You can't just make the choice. I wish that I could say that miracles bring people and keep people. I, I see miracles bring people to Jesus, but I've never seen miracles keep them. Never. I, I was at uh, Olivet Nazarene College and a young fellow came in and I was asking him, I was my first day, I said, Hey, tell me about, tell me how you found Jesus. And he says, well, he said, I was on a motorcycle and I was driving. And he says, and I hit this thing. And he said, I went about 80 feet. And he said, and when I, you know, I went into a coma. And when I was in the coma, he said, I was playing billiards with the devil. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I had to land a certain ball. And Jesus told me, well, if you land the eight ball, then you'll be okay. And I'm, Whoa. I said, buddy, have you ever met Jesus? 
Well, yeah, I just told, I said, no, 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 no. You're telling me about some story. Have you met Jesus? Well, you are a hypocrite and a criticizer, you know. And uh, he made it about six weeks at our school before he, you know, he got drunk and got in a car accident and, and got thrown out of school and, and then cursed God as loud as he could when I went to bail him out. Miracles don't make Christians. Jesus does. And totally surrendered. When I come to him and know there is nothing I can bring to Jesus. This blind man couldn't bring anything to Jesus. The world wasn't helping him to get anything to bring to Jesus. All they cared about was he was on display. You're on display in this world. But to Jesus, he has an investment in you. You may not understand it. And I hope that you'll come to understand it by the prevening grace of God because Jesus will pour it out upon you. And you Because some of you may be waking it up. You're listening today. You're watching us on this. You may be waking up to Jesus Christ because this COVID has brought you to the place where you're watching spiritual things that you never watched before. But do you understand that the matter of what we're talking about is Jesus? When it all boils down to the end, it's Jesus. When I was a little boy... My dad took me to the first time to one of these, uh, what do you call them, amusement parks? We used to call them that. I don't know what they call them today. And uh, they're not nearly as elaborate as today, but we got, dad took me to a merry-go-round. Now, back in those days, and see, I'm 69, so we're talking 1955. Uh, you know, that, yes, there was electric, there was water. You know, Jesus had been gone for a while, okay? And uh, he's coming back. But... I got on the merry-go-round, but in those days, a merry-go-round went a little faster than they do today, and there was a brass ring on a pole out on the edge. And the braver you were, the further you got, you got to swirling. And the more you went out, the more power there was to it, and the more power, but if you wanted to get it to brass ring, you had to get on that last horse, and that baby was a-moving. And if you could just touch that brass ring, you got an extra special ride on the merry-go-round. The problem with so many people is they have a religion of merry-go-round stuff. And they're trying to grab brass rings. But you know what? Now this is back, this really aging me on the merry-go-round. The guy who operated the merry-go-round in those days didn't stand out on the side and run the machine. He was in the middle of the merry-go-round in a room. It's in the room with Jesus in the middle of all the swirl. It's exciting out there. But this is where it's at with Jesus, where it doesn't look so exciting. I mean, let's have a miracle. Let's, let's have a revival that just pours out and just, Jesus, Jesus. That's where it's at, Jesus. As we come to the end of this, Jesus told him, he said, as he, this man awoke, he became Jesus' follower. Jesus said, don't go back into the world and play for miracles. Don't go back and do religious stuff. Don't go back into the village. Go home. Go home. Isn't it time to come home? I think it is, don't you? Do you stand with me? I'd like to ask the young lady to come.
If you're at home and listening this morning, I want to offer to you the fact that Jesus Christ, if you have a stirring in your heart and life today, that's because Jesus is stirring it. If you have a voice that's saying, oh, uh, maybe not today, let me tell you that's your enemy. He's the prince of the power of the air. I know because I heard him many, many times before I finally fell before the Lord. I kept thinking, I got things to do. I got things I'm going to do. I'm... And then after that, then I thought in my arrogance that I could choose Jesus at any time. But you can't. There is an appropriate time and the appropriate moment whenever Jesus meets. And sometimes he comes back several times. And I remember he kept coming, he kept coming. And then one night as he knocked on my door, I was given the same old excuse. And then he said something that scared me to death. He said, then I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm never going to say another word to you, Bill. Take your life. Go with it. But I'm not going with you. What does it really pay to get everything that you set in life and goals? And Jesus said to win the whole world but lose your own soul. It's not worth it. While Jesus, while the Holy Spirit is talking to you today, Make a choice for Jesus. I think everyone most probably in this place is saved and a great Christian. But then again, that's me. Have you started, have you let religion become your thing? Have you got a Christian religion instead of Jesus Christ? And if you stand in here today on the basis of religion, say, Bill, everything you said today offended me. Oh, good then. Good, good, good. Because you need Jesus. And that's why we have public altars. And that's why I'm opening the altar this morning. It's, it's always open in the church of the Nazarene. Maybe you don't know that, but it is. You don't have to wait to any certain point in the church of the Nazarene to come forward and talk to God. You can come at any point in service. But right now in this moment, while the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and to your life, you just can't let it go. As Pastor said last week, if I could scare you into the place, I would do my best. I don't want to be like that preacher who was standing at the pearly gate and a, and a taxi cab driver came by him and got in and he didn't get in. And he said, why did he go in? He said, because he scared more people out of you know where than you did. I want you to find Christ. Christ wants you to find Him. But He is not going to beg. He's telling you to count the cost. Count it, because it's going to cost you everything. It cost Him everything. But everything that you're holding that you think is worth something is really worth nothing. Let Him make you a new creature in Christ. Can you do that today? For those of us who are praying, we're Christians, then, man, rejoice in it. Say, I, I, I know this moment. I know this hour.
this is not me. That's how you feel, isn't it? It's not me, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, it's Jesus. So, Father, we thank you this morning. You are in the business of dealing with blind men and getting hold of us. Sometimes we just, first of all, we look up and, Lord, we can't see much. We don't see anything. We're watching people. We're watching things and situations. And we say, oh, I'm just busy looking at the hypocrites in the church, watching trees walking around that have no roots and judging my future by it. Oh, but Jesus... There is a moment when you get a hold of us, and it's this moment today. Out there, here, wherever. But Jesus, you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You are the purchaser of souls. And so we turn our heart and our life to you today. We thank you for this moment. Bless your church. Be with us, Lord, as we go out among the people. May your word be strong within us. May your spirit pour out from us onto those around us. Our America needs us, Lord, as the church of Jesus Christ. Not a religious institution, but the church of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you today. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you. May you have a great week out there with Jesus. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.